Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hope you're doing well out there. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. I hope that all of you are staying safe and warm. Hurricane Michael, no doubt, is giving some of you trouble. I have no complaints other than a little bit of rain on the top of my head. For some reason, when rain falls, it doesn't matter where it lands, just as long as it's not on the top of my head. It's been a pretty good day today. It's hard to have a bad day when you go to Red Ginger. If you're ever traveling through Duluth, Georgia, I have a little recommendation, a suggestion for you. There's an Asian fusion restaurant. It's called Red Ginger. And they always just make me feel like I'm at home. I have never gone there and regretted it. This is not a paid sponsorship. I'm not making some kind of endorsement. I'm just suggesting something that I think could make your life a little better. You can check them out at redgingerga.com. I hope you do. If you stop in, say hello to them and mention that Paul sent you. Hopefully that'll get a smile out of them. We are approaching one year of this podcast. Fifteen years we are approaching overall of doing these interviews. And I've got an interview for you to close out the first year of the podcast. We have John O'Hurley with us. A lot of you may remember John O'Hurley as Jay Peterman from Seinfeld. You could say that John O'Hurley is a seasoned and accomplished performer. His forms of expression can't be limited by a single medium. No, John O'Hurley is an artist. You may have seen John O'Hurley on stage as Billy Flynn in the musical Chicago. That is a role he's performed more than 1,000 times. But of course, as I mentioned, in the popular culture, he was in 22 episodes of Seinfeld. I don't think anybody can forget his portrayal as Jay Peterman, Elaine's very verbose and eccentric boss. I think of that voice, and I immediately have a smile on my face. Other than that, John O'Hurley is an author, he's written two books, and he's a composer. He has two albums of his own musical compositions. It was a great pleasure to interview John O'Hurley, and I hope you all enjoy. The man we're speaking to is an actor of stage and screen, also a voice actor, a musician, recording artist, and author. Welcome, John O'Hurley. On behalf of our listeners, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. I appreciate the introduction, and it's nice to be here. I think most stories are best from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up for you? Oh, gosh. From my, uh, my, you're asking about my misspent youth. I grew up really knowing at the age of three what I was going to do with my life. I knew I was going to be an actor, and anytime anyone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up with a sense of disgust, I would put my hands on my hips. I would point at the black and white television in the corner of the living room, and I would say, well, I am an actor, so that's what I'm going to be. So my life really kind of was always uh, filtered around that path. I always kind of defined myself as an actor, but it wasn't really until uh, 1981 that I made the the professional leap to, to New York. I heard in an interview you did with Rover, you said that what you just mentioned about from a very early age knowing that you were going to be an actor. Do you think that that is an innate talent, acting? Well, desire, yes. 
I don't know whether the actual talent, because a lot of people want to be an actor back then, but, uh, you know, as, as kids, I don't know if they had the innate talent, but certainly the, the aspiration for it. I think what I had, to, in order for me to connect all of the dots, I had to go back and spend a lot of time studying my fundamentals and getting my talent base for things that were actually learnable, the singing, the movement, the interpretation of character, all those things are, are learned skills. Along, And I think the, but the idea, some of it is innate, I guess, it goes along, and you develop, you, you hone that talent for that need to express, I guess. What kind of music did you hear around the house growing up? Oh, mostly melodies. Uh, I was very addicted to the film themes of the time, Moon River, um, Exodus. You know, you'd hear these great Gone, Gone with the Wind had a great theme. You know, I, I used to love these because they were big and sweeping and very moving and emotional pieces. And they were popular in music back then. They, you know, they weren't necessarily driven to lyrics. And when films came out, they had themes. And so I, I heard a lot of those, and I think a lot of those in that sense of that very sense of that Puccini kind of feel, that Verdi type of type of feel that music had back in the fifties. I was uh, very impressed by. So I heard those in my head, and I think that was really the genesis of my in, love of composing, as uh, is taking those sweeping film themes and kind of rescoring them. Our special guest is John O'Hurley. You have appeared in many, many productions of the Chicago. I have. I've done uh, oh, I, somewhere between well over a thousand performances. I know that for sure. Probably more than most. Uh, probably more than any other single actor. But I have uh, enjoyed this role just tremendously because it's he's one of the last great leading men left on Broadway. But Billy Flynn is an elegant, conniving but very very strong and kind of uh, arch driven type of character that they just don't write anymore. Uh, they don't write elegant characters anymore. So it's, it's, it's a joy to slap on the tux every night and, and drive this wonderful vehicle called Chicago across the stage. Can you recall the first time you saw a performance of Chicago? I do. I actually saw it back in its older older style. The, the show's gone a, a major renovation and rethinking and restaging back in 1995, which is what its current version is. But it actually was on Broadway with Jerry Orbach and Cheetah Rivera. Back in in the late seventies, I ran nine hundred performances there for a couple of years, and but it was a much more vaudevillian style show, kind of uh, Punch and Judy, and it was a lot, a lot of a lot of set. The sets were, but the whole interpretation of the show was different, and uh, doesn't it didn't quite have the same. Ooh, that, I want to say that slickness that it does now. I'm very curious to know, since you are a composer yourself, what do you think of John Kander? as a composer of music. Absolutely genius. I think one of the best that the Broadway theater ever had. His, I, I listen to these melodies and to the lyrics, and I just go, these are absolutely... I, and I'll point to one particular sh- a song. It's a famous one in the musical uh, Chicago. They, there's a song, it's called the Ventriloquist Number. It's They Both Reached for the Gun. And it is one of the most brilliantly conceived pieces of music that slides perfectly into the moment of the show. And how they came up with that, how that idea of doing a, a, a you know, the, the uh, attorney becoming the, uh, Billy Flynn becomes the, uh, the ventriloquist and, and, and Roxy's there on his slap looking like little Charlie McCarthy. And it, it was just an absolutely brilliant, brilliant number. And, and the conception of that is just uh, staggers me. The music in Chicago composed by John Kander, the lyrics by Fred Ebb, 
Have you met either of those men, the late Fred Ebb or John Cantor? John, I've met many, on many occasions. I've done the show in New York many times. I did the 10th anniversary show. I also did the uh, 15th anniversary uh, show, and uh, the 18th is actually coming up this uh, this week, and uh, I'll be in New York for uh, for that as well. We're kind of on the brink of the 20th anniversary, and I hope to be still having the. I still hope I'll have the tuxedo available for that. When did you first write music yourself? Well, I always wrote music in my head, and it never goes down on paper. I don't read music, so I don't bother writing music. I, what I do is I hear things, and so I'm self-taught, but I'm, I play by ear. So consequently, if I haven't composed it, I can't play it. Tell us about performing. Walk us through the experience. What is it like through your eyes when you're on stage? Well, I've lo- I, I grew up with, the, with an enormous sense of stage fright. And it was key mostly because my expectations were so high and my threshold for disappointment was so low. So I would, the anxiety of, of getting it right and being perfect was so extraordinary. But I stopped that kind of a third of the way through my career when I sat down and said, this is just too much. I can't do this every night and get so riled up. And I said, tonight I'm just going to go out on stage and I'm going to have fun. And I'm going to leap and I'm going to know that the net is going to appear. And then I said one thing more, and it was a prayer that I now continue to say every day of my life that I'm on stage. And the prayer is this, God, let me be surprised. And what that does is it tunes me down and it keeps me aware in the present moment of things that are going on. So that all I need to do to engage this character is just look into another actor's eyes. And then I'm there. And that really has been kind of my guiding light, not only for acting, but for hosting, for all the other things that I do. When I do a concert on stage, it's just, I say, let me be surprised. And it keeps me attuned to the present moment. Where did you learn that prayer or read about it? It was just something that I came up with, really. And it's just a, a kind of a resolution of all of the things that had been taught to me over the years, that, that all you need in art whether it's interpretive art of any sort or whether you're more specifically an actor or a singer, is to be in the present moment because that's really where the art of it all is. It's what's happening on stage at that moment. You can come in with preconceived notions. You don't come in with, with line readings. And you come in with otherwise you're just basically uh, you know, reading a script. But if you come in to experience the performance moment by moment, then the audience is with you, because that's exactly the type of honesty that they paid to see. Our special guest is John O'Hurley. You're appearing in the musical Chicago. You've done over a thousand performances. Does it still excite you? Oh, it does, every night. And again, because I do say the prayer of, let me be surprised. And so every single night, something happens that has not happened before. Something privately happened last night on stage. It just occurred to me, and I said, hmm, I've never done it that way before. Wow, that's interesting. So to say that I've done the show a thousand times and that the show is now a thousand times richer uh, for me is probably an accurate statement because it's so much more developed and, and deeply researched and experienced than I than it was when I first started back in 2005. When someone sees you, or even your voice, a lot of people think of the character Jay Peterman from the show Seinfeld. Who did you meet from the experience of being on Seinfeld that was the most memorable? Well, you know, I, I go back and I have wonderful memories of everybody there. You know, I always loved Jason watching Jay. I thought Jason uh, had 
played George, and I thought that was the most difficult role in the show because he had to be eternally mediocre. And that's a very difficult thing to do because it's very difficult to write that. You have to perform it. And he performed, he basically, you know, swung from the middle rung on the ladder of life, but with a passion that made him stand out. I mean, it was tour de force mediocrity, if you know what I mean. I mean, it takes a real strong actor to, to be so bland as George was, but with such passion. And, and Julia, too, I mean, just one of the great physical comedians, comedians that I've ever seen, ever worked with, so courageous, she would do anything. She would throw, throw herself into anything in any position just to get the laugh. And she was so smart about it. And then Michael Richards, I think, you know, you have to go back to, uh, to Buster Keaton or, or Danny Kaye or Dick Van Dyke to recall a physical comedian that was as good as him. Uh, he was just extraordinary. And then Jerry was the keel of the ship. He was, he was what normal was. And all of the absurdity, including Jay Peterman, you know, happened around him. How would you get into the character of Jay Peterman? Well, Peterman really is a, he's kind of this character I've always had in the back of my head of this, uh, that I just kind of laid across the script one day and it just seemed to work. But it was that sense of the legend, you know, a man who's a legend in his own mind. And, you know, everything had this uh, sense of purpose. And, and he was kind of a, a corporate Mr. Magoo, I guess. And the, and the kind of the pomposity, the arrogance, and the you know, bombastic quality were a lot of fun to play. And especially because it was combined with such self-deprecating lunacy. I mean, he was an absolute lunatic by the time the, they had gotten into the story arc over several seasons with Jay Peterman. But he was, you know, when they first gave me the um, the script, they, they actually gave me the Jay Peterman catalog. And I said that, uh, you know, as I was reading through it, these long adventure stories about an Oxford button-down, and I said it sounds a little bit like a bad Charles Corral and a bit of a 40s radio drama. So that was kind of the genesis of the, of the, of the stylized voice uh, of J. Peterman. Our special guest is actor and musician John O'Hurley. I was listening to this song, Waltz for the Man in the Moon. Tell us about that song. Well, that's actually the only song that I have ever written lyrics to. Oh, I take that back. I wrote. A, I did write a piece for my wife for her birthday, but that's the only song I've ever written. Waltz for the Man on the Moon was I wrote during Dancing with the Stars, and I was so taken by the waltz because I just I loved that kind of. I'd never really danced in thirds before in triplet, and that's really what the the, the waltz tempo is. It's one two three one two three, and I was really intrigued by it, and I started playing around with the idea of just the nature of just that dancing on the seashore in the still of the night with the with that huge moon overhead and uh, that really and, and and the breeze and the you know the the waves the waves lapping at your ankles and just dancing by yourself in a waltz on the beach and that's really what the uh, that really is the the word picture of the song very lovely melody on that song thank you very much that's it's one of my favorites what inspires you to compose i love sitting at a piano with a glass of wine and just Melodies, melodies come into my head, and the more that I play with the chord structures, to say that any one song comes a certain way, I, I don't, I can't say that that's true. But I just heard, I just hear melodies in my head. They're derivations of other things that I've heard, and I say, no, that that should be going a different way. And then I start playing that the different way, and I go, okay, yeah, it's much more interesting to me that way, and and that that will be the beginning or the the chord structure that I begin with to create something. Is there a song of yours that is more meaningful? Well, I think probably a song called The Dry Salvages that I wrote. That was the first song 
that I wrote, and it was something that I, I would break into the theater <laughs> in college. Into the, I lived above the theater, and I kind of had the key, and I went through the, the bathroom in the back of the theater and was able to get into the theater. And so while everybody else was out at the pubs at night, I'd be down there on the old piano at the theater, and I'd be sitting there teaching myself to play. And that was one of the first songs that I ever wrote, and so it has some extraordinary meaning to me. What is the best thing about being John O'Hurley? Well, I get to do a lot of different things because I follow my imagination. And whatever my imagination tells me to do, I, I do. And if, I had, if I've had an eclectic career, it's because I've listened to it. And so it takes me to a lot of different arenas, and, and so I end up wearing a lot of different hats, albeit sometimes at the same time, and I'm switching hats all the time. But it, it makes for very, very interesting and fulfilling life. I don't do any one thing tremendously well. I do a lot of things okay, and I enjoy that. I mean, I try to do the best I can in each one of them, but I realize I'm not a genius in any one area. I'm just a guy that, I'm just another bozo on the bus who just happens to have a lot of different interests. For anyone who's listening to this interview, wherever they are, what would you say to them? Well, I would say I believe very strongly that the daydreams that we have, not the night dreams, the daydreams, the recurring daydreams that we have are our imagination telling us what we should be doing. And I believe that if God has a way of speaking to you, that's how he does it. It's through your imagination. And I believe that not your rational mind, because that'll stop you from doing things, but your, your imagination doesn't lie to you because it doesn't know how to lie to you. It knows everything about you. It knows your strengths, your capabilities, and what it imagines, those little daydreams that you have, is what you should be doing. Hmm. My last question. Who is John O'Hurley? <laughs> I'll get back to you on that someday. He's, uh, he's constantly revealing himself every day to me. I have a very complex mind and a very... I, I think John O'Hurley is an absurdist in a world where that seems to welcome it. I don't take myself too seriously, as I say. I, I'm just another bozo on the bus. And, uh, I believe in elegance. I love elegance. and I like beautiful things. I'm a very sensual person. But I think, you know, and so I've chosen the right field for my life because it's the all of the worlds that I dip into right now demand that and appreciate it. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Great to talk with you. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>